0: We are in the middle of the series of Mark and about untying our knots, and all throughout this we've been looking at Jesus and how is he engaging the people to untie their knots. I kind of feel like I got the best chapter, I'm not going to lie. My time sitting with it has been really rich and really sweet and I was advised not to tell you every single thing that I thought was really cool because we just won't do that. But we are going to look at the whole of chapter seven because I do feel like it is comprehensive as a unit. And as we've gone through Mark so far, we've seen this pattern of Jesus healing and teaching, teaching and healing, healing and teaching. And so he's just done that. He's left the Sea of Galilee. And I think we pick up, in Mark 7 in Capernaum. And while I'm not going to read everything, we're just going to kind of talk about it. This will be up behind me. You're welcome to read along or grab a Bible in the back. So we start Mark 7 and we have these Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the keepers of the law, the Jewish people, the religious folks, right? And they have, there's some locally, and there have been some that have actually been following Jesus and watching him and watching his disciples. And it's kind of cultivating into this moment where they're about to confront Jesus. And they do, and it's actually a very bitter confrontation. And what they're saying is they're like, why do your disciples not walk? according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And so that word for walk refers to the word to have the habit of. So why do your disciples not have all these habits that we do? When I see them walk into the marketplace and they bump into somebody and they didn't wash their hands, or they're about to eat dinner and they didn't wash their seats. All these things, all these traditions, man-made traditions that they keep, all these rules that they follow, how come your people don't do that? And Jesus' response, well, it's kind of intense, I feel it. Like, if you read it, you're like, well, didn't Isaiah prophecy of, prophesy of you folks? But he's saying, like, your heart is far from me. You're doing all of these things, all of these traditions and habits, but your heart is far from me. You think you're walking in the way that God wants, but you're not. God wants your heart. And this point is so important that in the next chunk of verses, Jesus gathers around. Imagine he's been in a crowd. These people, you know, you think when you like are out and about and you hear like some voices rise or whatever, you can feel the mood kind of intensify. And so people are already, a crowd is already always following Jesus. Now imagine you feel like a, ooh, now everybody's, probably even more people are there. And Jesus gets the intention of, everybody. Because what he's about to say is so important and so relevant to all, the Jew, the Gentile, you, and me. And he says it again. It's about your heart. And I think in that moment, what he's saying is that we're all the same. It's important for everybody to hear it because all of our our hearts are the same. And we are all naughty. You guys get it? That's why I can never be a comedian, because I have to explain my jokes. But that's all right, you know? And then classic to the disciples, they continue on in the next chunk, and they are going in with Jesus and hanging out, and they pull one of their classic moves about like, but what are you trying to say? Are you are you really sure? What are you trying to say? And Jesus, again, is like, it's about your heart, okay? And I think Jesus cares about revealing how this adding to ties us up in knots. And so before as a church we were in Mark I personally had been spending some time in Acts and so the Pharisees make an appearance in Acts also. They're all over. But I was actually this time sitting with it and my heart was moved to compassion. This phrase kind of came to me thinking about the Pharisees and how they live. I thought this. This is all they have. And I found that desperation and that necessity for security very relatable and very human. So I can see how they got to holding these habits, even though they tie knots. So let's think about, we got this clever little rope up here. Let's think about what tying a knot does. It secures, it tightens, it keeps things from slipping When so many things, especially about God, are unclear and uncertain, why not tie a knot? Why not feel like you can have some certainty and some tightness? And so in our modern Christian tradition, we might not do what the Pharisees are doing doing, you know, washing our hands and whatnot, but we have our own kind of ways and traditions and habits. And I even know this, like I can backtrack and see this kind of thinking even from a young age. Let's imagine, little Aaron. you know, if the next person that walks by is wearing orange, I'm going to marry Andrew Keegan. You guys remember Andrew Keegan? Heartthrob teen bop Come on, 10 things I hate about you? Oh, yes. Would have loved for that little thing to work out, but it didn't. But so maybe as we age, you know, that little algorithm, that transaction, maybe it evolves, maybe it matures, maybe it doesn't, but maybe we say, if I ace all this test, then I'll get into medical school. If I have the perfect home, then I'll have people to fill it with. And then we also have our Christian tendencies that we throw in there. If I read my Bible every day, then I'm a good Christian. If I live right, God will bless me. I think if Jesus cared so much to go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and reveal this habit, I think he wants something else for us. So we're going to look at the second half of chapter 7. The movement of Jesus has continued, and he's now in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And there, a woman comes up to him, and she is seeking healing for her daughter. And Jesus and this woman have this interaction that at first read, you might feel like Jesus is being really snarky, possibly racist, and if not, he's definitely being arrogant. But that is not what's happening. To me, it's like they're having this intimate conversation. They're speaking in code in a way that nobody understands. And her response, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That, to me, is like the woman in the other chapter of Mark who just reaches out and touches the hem of his robe, and she says, I will take any bit of you that I can. And to that response, Jesus heals her daughter. And it is the only miracle in the book of Mark that Jesus heals from a distance. And then we go, the movement continues, and he's now in this area of Decapolis. And a man is brought to him And people want him to heal him. This man has been deaf his whole life. And so Jesus takes this man aside. And so again, remember, there's lots of crowds around. And so he takes him privately. And I want you to imagine this with me. Because this man is deaf. He can't hear. So maybe even cover your ears. Imagine how cloudy it would be. Jesus' healing of this man is very embodied. You can see what's happening. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits on his hands. He reaches up to heaven, and he says, be open. Why would he do all this? To communicate with the man who cannot hear his words. So we began chapter 7 with the Pharisees questioning about the habits and Jesus really revealing that actually it's all about your heart. Jesus reveals that they have actually tied up so many knots on top of their hearts that their hearts are hidden from him. So what does Jesus really want for them? I think since these two stories of healing are what follow that, I think it's healing that Jesus really wants for them and for us. But what do these stories of healing from physical ailments have to do with all this heart talk? Remember how the things of God, the mysteries are unseen and unclear, but these physical healings, we can see them. Jesus even says, what is easier to say? Pick up your mat or your sins are forgiven. He's acknowledging the heart and the heart work and the heart need. So we have the Pharisees and even ourselves doing all this hubbub, all following all these rules, doing all these things for purity and nearness to God. And yet, Jesus is inviting them for what he really wants for them. He says that true purity and nearness with me comes from offering your heart to me. In Jeremiah, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, even especially the junked up naughty parts. To the deaf and mute man, he said, be open. So let's return to, to our knot and our rope and think about what does untying a knot do? You loosen it, it separates, it opens. I think the invitation before us through Jesus is to dare a greater risk than to keeping to tradition, but to dare deep healing these words are simple and cute to say, right? This whole series is like real cute. We've made it sound real easy. Come on, tie your knots on the seventh day. It'll be great. But it's not easy. I think the Pharisees actually probably had the easier way, right? It's kind of easier to keep to a to-do list and tick a list and follow all these rules. It's easier to live disconnected from your heart. But we must dare to untie our knots, because untying our knots will keep our hearts close to God. So often, Jesus didn't really say it to the woman in chapter 7, but often he will say, after he does a miracle or heals, he'll say, it is your faith that has made you well. And it's not what he said, but it's kind of what took me, it's what I think of, because it takes me back to a time when I was all knotted up. And it was back when Joel and I were seeking to begin our family, and it was going to be great and lovely, and then I had a miscarriage, and then I had another miscarriage, and then I had another miscarriage. And during this time, all my knots were all there. I was certain it was happening because I deserved it. Do you see that pharisaical thinking? I thought because of choices I've made in my past, this is what I get that mercy and grace and forgiveness are not real. Did I not have faith enough? Do you hear that pharisaical thinking that there is something I could have done or not could have done and I could have gotten the results that I wanted. And during this time, this season, what bringing my heart before God looked like was bringing a lot of anger. I was so angry during that time. I said, I'm so angry, I can't even believe he's there. Offering my whole heart looked like giving my confusion, my mixed up theology. Yet healing was not absent from me. In time and in ways I can't even explain, God cared for my heart and I experienced healing. So much so, that years later, when I sat again in another ultrasound room and was told that the daughter I was carrying is not expected to survive, but she is expected to be stillborn, Joel was like bracing and on eggshells because he knew how dark and hard that time was for me, and he just thought I was going to go back, but I didn't offering my whole heart to him, he had transformed my doubt into trust of his story, trust of his greater story. I trusted that he loved me and he loved my daughter and that this was not punishment from something I had done. And it's not from a lack of religious fortitude. I didn't need my circumstances to change because God shows up in the lives we're actually living in all the naughty, junky, crappy parts. So why would he even say, it's your faith that has made you well? This woman simply believed that that man, that that Jesus was capable, that he was the only one who could heal. And their faith was that, that he is the one, the only one, not some religious process or steps, not changing themselves. If we are trying to change ourselves or fix our behavior, we've got it mixed up. Allowing Jesus to untie our knots only happens from a place of saying, only he can do it. So, these stories of miracles, these physical healings, are there so we can see what he is capable of, to see what he can do. It's not about what we do, but about what he can do and what he will do. You know, it reveals that there is more to come. So, I have this jar, and I have permission to share this story for my lovely daughter over there. Um, My daughter is sensitive and perceptive and deep in all the wonderful ways. And it can also get her tied up in knots because she's carrying a lot and she's holding a lot. So all last year, she was tied up and she was in a highly anxious place. And then in the fall, you know, she went to a new school for the first time in fifth grade. So she was... Day in, morning, noon, and night, fraught with the intensity and the unsettledness of the unknown. And so we brought out this jar and we filled it with water because what does water do? Eventually, it evaporates, but we don't know when. And so we called this our waiting water. And I couldn't guarantee her if she would ever make friends. I I couldn't guarantee even if she would ever settle down internally. But what we did know and what we did trust that God had led us to this decision, that God was with her, and that in the end, it would be good. Even though we didn't even know what that good would look like, right? So every day, we're checking this water. And in the beginning, there's definitely lots of side eyes and doubt and suspicion until one day you can look at the jar and you see that the water is below the line so this may sound like a winning parenting story and you think i just slipped it in there but no nope, no nope, no nope, no nope, no nope. that's not the case <laughs> remember how i mentioned all last year was hard yeah that's the part the people who walked through us, walked with us through this story, know how desperate I was for her. I longed for a new thing for her. I longed for her to not hold that intensity inside every day. And I knew that that intensity of that not holding and tying could not go on. And I think that this jar actually served as a container in a way that all of her feelings were still there, but we could press pause on the knot tying and she could simply wait. She was in the middle of the story and she needed to wait to see what was to come. Mark concludes chapter seven by saying this, or maybe it wasn't Mark, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It's neither here nor there. He has done all things well. This He has done all things well. That word right there is going to take the listeners to the beginning of the story, all the way back to creation where God created, and they've been hearing these stories their whole life. They know this. They know this language. They're being taken back to this place of God saying, let there be dark, and it is good. Let there be light, and it is good. Let there be, I don't know, whales, and it is good. So I think about creation, and I'm reminded of how Mike actually taught on this, and that we think that, you know, God creating the world is like, oh, let there be a well. Oh, you know, let there be flowers. Oh, that we think it's just like, you know, soft and elegant and, you know, easy. But creation, creating the world was actually a violent time. It was chaotic and it was loud. And untying our knots can be chaotic and maddening. But our healer, our storyteller, does it for good. God does not withhold. Though we wait, healing is coming. So we began chapter 7 with the Pharisees asking about the disciples' habits, the way that they walk. So as those of us, beloved by Jesus, and seeking to live in him and in his ways, how do we walk? What is our habit in this waiting? I would say as we wait, our habit is to walk with him and offer our hearts. And so I invite you this week as you're feeling naughty, to notice your heart and offer it to God. And this is done simply. It's saying, here's my knot. Here is my heart in need of you yet again. Let it be, Lord. Let your untying, let your healing. And so to accompany you, you can even take along this little simple prayer. Jesus, here I am again in need of your healing. And it's gonna be easy, or we're gonna it's gonna be easy to think that offering our heart to God is actually happening when it feels good and it looks pretty. But these think of the people in Mark, the whole chapter that we've read, the one seeking healing, the man with a thousand legions, this woman for her daughter, these people are desperate. They longed for their struggle to be over, like I longed for my daughter's story to be over. And this, this desperation, this doneness, this is actually the beginning of offering your heart. So use this prayer. Use your desperation. This is the beginning of bringing your heart to God. Allow it to be your chance to reach out and grab his robe and encounter your healer. This is his invitation ever before you. Come, I can heal your heart. At Warehouse, we often say we don't want to outpace the Holy Spirit, but what does that mean? What is God pace? What is the pace of God? Well, it's the slow work the work happening like the water evaporating even when we can't see it. So as I wrap up, I want us to look at another thing we've been doing through this series is looking at the movement of God. I mean, yeah, he moves, but actually Jesus. We've been looking at Jesus in this series. And so all this is just all through chapter 7. He was in the Sea of Galilee, Tyre, Sidon, Decapolis. All of these areas are Gentile territory. The Gentiles, the people thought not deserving of the Christ, of the healing, of the goodness. And Jesus physically journeyed deeper and deeper into their land to say, You are deserving. So much so he walked with them. He knew their language. He had conversations with them. He showed up in their land to say, I am pursuing you. And he never tired. For his heart was set on their heart. And his heart is set on your heart. So may we trust the slow work of God again and again, because we're going to have to do it again and again and again and again. Offer your whole heart, because he never tires from you coming to him. And since he does never tire from us coming to him, and because you've probably even sat here and got knotted up again, We're going to take this space just a couple minutes before Molly and the band come up again and we respond in worship. Take a couple minutes to pause yourself and to offer this prayer. Offer your desperation. Offer your not.